Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome Nataraja Kalio and Ben Williams to the podcast. They both teach in the Yoga Studies program. Nataraja is the program chair of and also a Naropa grad himself. And Ben is also a core faculty member graduating from Harvard University. So welcome both of you. Thanks. Thanks, David. Yeah, good to be here. So how y'all feeling today? Wonderful. It's a beautiful, sunny, shiny day. It is a beautiful, sunny, shiny day. <laughs> yes. So... I'm curious, tell me about your journey to yoga. How did you discover this art? Why did you choose this one? There's so many different like body practices, artistic endeavors you can take on. I'm just curious, what is it about yoga that draw you to the practice? Sure, I can start. This has been, well, hatha yoga or, you know, postural yoga Mm -hmm. is something I came to a little later in my life. I really began practicing meditation, so the more meditative yogic traditions was the foundation of my interest and also some of the philosophies Mm. associated with yogic traditions. Very early on, I read this text called the Yoga Vasishta, Mm -hmm. and it's an extraordinary text full of narrative stories. It's kind of mind-bending and reality-altering Okay, as you read it. It has this powerful effect. like spiritual... Metaphysical stuff? Well, it plays with how the mind constructs reality okay, and how, in fact, all reality is a projection of the mind. It mm. also gets into stories about rebirth and, and the way we get swept into conditioned existence yeah. and how it, it deludes us. But it does it through narrative. Anyways, it's, it's got these beautiful yogic teachings. So I, I initially got interested in these traditions through that kind of outlet. Okay. And then I deepened my study by going to school, going to graduate school. Well, first studying religions as an undergrad and then studying Sanskrit and Indian philosophy. So at the same time, uh, in my yogic practice, I always was connected to devotion and the devotional element of these traditions. But nonetheless, as much of a bhakta or a devotee that I was, the knowledge aspect, you know, the Gita teaches the yoga of knowledge, the yoga of devotion, for example. Yeah. The knowledge aspect really became a deep continuity in my life that I followed through intensive study. Mm. So as I was a grad student studying uh, Sanskrit and Indian philosophy, you know, I recently finished my PhD last July. Congratulations. Thank you. I realized that being a grad student and studying this intensively in a kind of rigorous intellectual environment is not really conducive to embodiment. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so in that process, I kind of really discovered hatha yoga, like the practice of asana, and mm. fell in love with it for its own sake. It really became yeah. a grounding, balancing thing. Before I used to do it so I could sit longer without you know, pain in my hips and yeah. knees and lower back. Yeah. That was my initial, I, I really was a meditator. That, that was like my, what got me going. But then I was like, wow, I started to discover, you know, these natural openings and this kind of joy welling up in my cells just from doing hatha yoga. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, this is just 
a very powerful tradition and practice in its own right. Mm. Um, and so that's a little bit of my yoga biography, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the body meditation that you discovered through the meditation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, quite yeah. a journey. Some people go the other direction. They mm -hmm. start with the bodily, physical practices uh -huh. and then discover the inner heart of yoga. And I went the opposite way. Yeah, <laughs> so very cool. Yeah. I was uh, a product of the 60s generation, born and raised in a Hindu community, okay. um, given a Sanskrit name, and uh, our, my parents had an Indian teacher. And so I think there was some roots of this tradition from the beginning. Yeah. But nevertheless got to also quickly discover the complexities of community and spirituality as the community kind of shattered apart. But to make a long story short, I ended up in India at age 18 and spent about eight of the next 15 years there immersing myself in both the bhakti devotional traditions, uh -huh. the, the wisdom traditions, you might say, yeah. of Vedanta and the somatic kind of base traditions of Hatha Yoga. But I think, you know, what really brought the practice and tradition alive for me was just having the blessed encounter with some very meaningful teachers. Yeah. A mentor who certainly, I think, in the spirit of alchemy, really showed the practice's ability to leave like no stone unturned, to utilize every aspect of our experience as yeah. a part of the path. Okay. And that, I think, landed the practice in a very meaningful way in my own life, mm -hmm. that it wasn't based on faith, it wasn't based on an assumed belief or philosophy, but an experiential, transformational dimension yeah. that affected every aspect of my life, from yeah. the most mundane to the most sublime. Oh my gosh. Wow, yogi just goes deep. <laughs> so you told me about your journey and how you discovered the practice and how you implement the practice. Can you tell me what is it about the practice that you like? How does it inform your life? Why have you stuck with it? Why have you devoted your life? Why have you wanted to teach others this art? One thing that comes to mind, one of the earliest definitions of yoga that's in a, a sacred text is from the Kata Upanishad. And it describes yoga as this state once the horses of the senses have been reined in. Mm. <laughs> uh, so there's this uh, metaphor of a chariot. And at this time, horse-driven chariots were an important part of the culture. So it was a powerful metaphor and resonates throughout medieval India. Anyways, metaphor comes back again and again. Mm -hmm. Something about harnessing all of the mental energies, this kind of internal mastery, uh, not letting the mind become your master, but becoming a master of the mind. I really see that just as a foundational kind of inner technology that yogic, many yogic traditions emphasize. And how does it inform my life? You know, when the mind's not running the show for me, I find this extraordinary thing happens that my perception actually becomes more beautiful. I see things in a crisper way. I find beauty in unexpected places, including in painful or dark situations. And I'm able to extract more joy, inspiration, and meaning out of life. So teaching it, you know, one of the things I really aim to share here at Naropa 
with the students is a certain kind of viveka, to use a Sanskrit term. It means discrimination or discernment. Mm -hmm. And the tradition, the inner discernment or discernment of experience is foundational to yogic traditions, but I like to play with the term and expand its meaning. So what I, when I speak about discernment, I also speak about a kind of historical awareness. The ability to discern between many different streams in yogic traditions and understanding their fundamental orientations and outlooks and yeah. practices and not letting them all get mixed up into this jumble mm -hmm. and this very vague notion of yoga, but actually appreciating the depth and integrity of each and then when drawing from them, therefore having more access to their power, yeah. to their transformational power. And I think that's something that in the broader world of yogic practice is deeply missing, is that kind of viveka. Yeah. So that's one thing I think in my teaching here that I like to try to bring. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It strikes me that there's two reasons people come to this practice generally. Yeah. And I think both have been very true for me. One is just longing, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, curious about what's the deal, right? <laughs> what is this about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other, probably more common for many of us, is just pragmatic. That when we take an honest look at our, our mind mm -hmm. for the first time and realize, wow, maybe not the fine audience listening, but perhaps more myself. <laughs> well, I'm distracted <laughs> like 90% of the time and agitated the other 10%. Um, <laughs> it's not to become depressed, but to just have an appreciation mm. of kind of the baseline of, of where we all are, yeah. or so many of us are psychologically, and to really feel how much suffering is born from that. Mm. And so yoga offers just this extraordinary ocean of technology to access, take a penetrating look at, and transform the nature of mind. Wow. And I think there's a dual process of a developmental process of, mm -hmm. okay, realizing that I'm not just hardwired to suffer. I can actually take upon practices or life choices that develop the qualities I value. Yeah. And simultaneously, there's this discovery process where yoga is pointing to the timeless essence nature Mm -hmm. of being that is beyond a developmental process. And I think they both work hand in hand. Yeah. And so I found, you know, there was this incredible practice of unfolding body, subtle body and mm -hmm. mind, as well as this mirror of who am I? Who am I? Who am yeah. I? That continuously began to surface this feeling of returning home. Yeah. Of no longer just being located in my self images, my projections, mm -hmm. my beliefs, my aversions and preferences, but discovering there's another option, you know, of where I locate as a psyche. Yeah. Know? Wow. What I'm hearing from kind of both of you is this understanding of body is also understanding a mind and becoming the master of your mind, having skillful discernment and realizing the skillful looking at what you're actually thinking about throughout the day, but through the mechanical practice through the body, the mind is able to also develop because the brain is a, is a muscle, 
you know, so it's also this other muscle that you are working, but it's this metaphysical muscle that inhibits us in many different ways. And it's just really interesting to hear it this way. I've never heard it this way. It's like, it's just like, oh, it's a workout practice. I want to look good or, you know, I want to be able to touch my toes or something. But what I'm hearing is this, (laughs) this mastery of mind, this mastery of body and this mastery of life. The basic axiom, I think, of Hatha Yoga is really born on the appreciation of the inner relationship of, in Sanskrit, the terms of prana and chitta. Mm-hmm. Prana basically means life force. But in the quantum physics perspective, that means everything from this dense table yeah. to the subtlest feelings yeah. are expressions of prana. Mm-hmm. And its counterpart, chitta, is consciousness, or chit is consciousness. Uh-huh. And the two are said to almost like dancers in unison or fish swim in tandem as one moves the opposite yeah or the other follows so just yin and yang and it's not an abstract you can just feel how every thought every emotion i have leaves a pattern or creates a pattern of sensation in the body Mm. and if i affect change in my body it also affects quality of wakefulness or presence so the two are continuously (laughs) revealing each other and expressing and affecting each other. Yeah, it sounds like yoga is making you be present, be yeah. mindful of the actual thoughts and the actual body processes you mm-hmm. have throughout the day. Very cool. Yeah, and just to jump on that a little, the the way that prana shows up in the body is as the breath. Yeah. And that breath practice is so fundamental. And so this connection between breath and mind is so fundamental. And, you know, just like the body never lies, the breath never lies. Yeah. You know? If you want to know what kind of state of mind you're in, just look at what's happening with your breath. Mm. And that's so. actually the first practice we'll do in a yoga one class is appreciate how the breath is a mirror. It's reflecting to us our state of nervous system and mind. Yeah. And it's a tool. Mm. By affecting skillfully change in the breath, yeah. we begin to affect change in the mm. quality of our tissues and attention. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That was awesome. So I'm kind of curious, how did both of you end up at Naropa? Why Naropa? Because you probably could have taught at a yoga studio. You probably could have just toured India for the rest of your life (laughs) or just sat in sanghas and taught at ashrams or whatever. So what is it about Naropa and how did you end up here? Well, you know, traveling India for the rest of my life sounds really good, first of all, especially if I had a nice motorcycle. Yeah, it sounds fun. And, uh, <laughs> Enfield. <laughs> An Enfield motorcycle. And uh, <laughs> it would take a lifetime to exhaust India's sacred geography and yeah. cultural diversity and spiritual depth and sanity. <laughs> but, you know, my training prepared me to be at a university because I did a PhD in in the history of religions and mm-hmm. these things. It's true, I could have applied to a more traditional university setting and, and really focused on that. I was actually in India writing my dissertation when I applied for Naropa, and I flew back to Colorado for my interview from India. I was living there with my wife, who's from India. She's from Mumbai, and she was teaching at a school in the foothills of the Himalayas. So we, I was up there in the foothills which is the perfect place to write a dissertation. I, and I, was, <laughs> I felt so supported. Uh, it was this real blessing. I experienced so much solace there. So, yeah, I, w- I was in this very idyllic place writing and applying for jobs. And I remember coming here to Naropa, and, you know, compared to the other interviews I had, because I did apply to a few places, I was immediately struck by how warm 
the search committee was. <laughs> I mean, they were like, they were really like welcoming, genuinely, you know, from a heart yeah. level. This is something I love sp- our committees. Yeah, exactly. No, this is something I've spoken with Amelia Hall about. I mean, she, she actually did her PhD at Oxford and she's here teaching Buddhism. And, you know, she's had other academics come and visit Naropa and see you for conferences. And they're uh-huh. like, wow, the people are genuinely kind here you know like weird. which you do, it's, it is actually weird uh yeah. when you become familiar with academia uh. <laughs> maybe not in other settings so it actually is novel hmm. so that's one thing is, is a kind of a group of colleagues who are actually doing inner work okay who are just extremely interesting people and um, multi-dimensional people yeah but where inner life is something that they don't have a superficial relationship with Mm-hmm. I really am impressed by the faculty. Mm-hmm. You know, they really bring their own lineages of practice and sensitivity yeah. and depth. And they're really holding something. Yeah. Each one of them. So just feeling into these lineages and this confluence that is Naropa. And then seeing how that's so important for modeling and creating an environment for contemplative education. For me, it's been very integrating because... In academia, my practitioner side was like uh, cards behind my back, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was completely concealed. And here, I'm, you know, this past semester, I taught a course on yoga meditation, a practicum, uh-huh. where we actually dove into practice from many yogic traditions. So it was an incredibly integrating thing to, mm-hmm. to bring my knowledge of the traditions and the roots of the traditions together with my practitioner self. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, hats off to Naropa and its history and legacy for creating yeah. a space where that kind of thing can happen. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of lineages being held here and a lot of different yeah. unique perspectives all kind of like colliding together and sharing and informing each other and just deepening everyone else's practice, you know, because yeah. when you're around practice, you, yeah. you practice. Yeah. So it's very cool. Yeah. That question really makes me reflect on serendipity and synchronicity because... I was in Nepal and Mm. I got in a bit of trouble with immigration because I'd overstayed my visa unbeknownst to me 40 days. Oh, In Thailand, they stamped my visa for 30 days, but the three smudged into an eight, so I thought I had 80 days. (laughs) And as a part of that, (laughs) which ended up causing me to try and sneak out of Nepal and thus sneak into India and thus be introduced Mm. to yoga afresh for the... Wow. So anyways, but anyways, as a part of that, overstay in Nepal, I ended up um, studying with a Tibetan meditation master named Tulku Urgin Rinpoche. Mm. And he lived in this hermitage up on the mountain outside of Kathmandu. And one day studying with him, I was usually as the, as one of the only Westerners, I was suddenly surprised when the door opened and an income walking like 15 American students. And I couldn't help afterwards, but ask, who are you? Where are you from? Because I wasn't used to being around other 20-year-old Westerners. And they said, oh, we're from Naropa. And I said, what's that? (laughs) I'd heard of the the teacher Naropa, but didn't know it was an actual place. Mm. And so I said, wait, you're getting credit for this? So that planted a seed that didn't really come to fruition until many years later when I arrived here. But... Naropa suddenly was on my map of a unique place where practice yeah. and <laughs> such things like yoga and 
Buddhist meditation were uh, a part of the curriculum. Yeah, and you got both of your degrees here, right? I finished my undergrad and then did my okay. grad work here too, yeah. Yeah, and you're just yeah. in Nepal, just like, I can get right. I can get credits right. for just being here? Yeah. This is awesome, cool. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, what is it like teaching the students here? We teach in a contemplative model. Like, what does that actually mean in yoga is compared to like a yoga studio? All the teachers show up with their like inspirational quotes and let me show you how to <laughs> let me show you how to move your elbow back a little bit further. I don't know. Like how is teaching in the contemplative model different from teaching in a yoga class? And like what can the students expect in a yoga class at Naropa? Okay. <laughs> um, well, we have a pretty comprehensive curriculum in yoga studies. It's just developing more and more. So what you could expect in one of Nataraja's classes is different than what you could expect in one of my classes. Yes. Just a, so in terms of um, the classes I teach, like yoga history, theory, and philosophy, I teach a course on Hindu Tantra, where we look at tantric yogic, uh, yogic traditions within the tantras. Not Buddhist Tantra, but Hindu, quote-unquote Hindu Tantras. You know, there's this interesting thing happening right now in the yoga world, which is a kind of a growing interest in understanding what is yoga philosophy you know i've been doing this practice i know it's transformative i know i like it i know when my yoga teacher you know shares these inspirational quotes they resonate yeah but where are they from you know how does this actually connect to a deeper tradition yeah and how can i feel connected to that in a meaningful way and then from that impulse is a whole nother series of impulses like well, what's the history of this tradition so I think this is actually, this is, there's this like stirring right now yeah. in the broader yoga world. And there's evidence of this stirring. One is that a lot of scholars who are scholars of yoga are actually being hired to teach as a part of yoga teacher trainings. Okay. And they'll teach Sanskrit pronunciation, the script, how do you correctly pronounce yeah. Dandasana, you know, for example, <laughs> but also teaching the philosophy and the history. Uh, one of the classical things that a lot of modern yogis look to is Patanjali and the yoga sutras, the aphorisms on yoga of Patanjali, which is kind of classical yoga. Most teacher trainings just focus on a tiny little segment of the text yeah, and ignore the rest. Mm. So it's a very non-comprehensive approach. So therefore, there's this call for scholars to come in and supplement. So there's this turning happening within broader yoga communities. On the other end, within academia, there's a kind of surge of the field of yoga studies. There's great research happening right now. There's the EU just funded a huge grant, like a 10, I think it's a 10-year grant to do research on the history of yoga. Oh, wow. So this is coming from incredibly well-established sources to support this research yeah. because of yoga as a global phenomenon, right? And, yeah. and how it's really become this global thing. So... I think that the thing that we offer here, even if you did a yoga teacher training or even if you did workshops with mm -hmm. some of these scholars, you're kind of left to your own devices. You, you draw a little knowledge here. You combine it with some other thing you heard from this other scholar. Yeah. You combine it with what your yoga teacher taught you in that lineage of teaching, which is often idiosyncratic. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense that you're, you don't really have a context for a deep training where you can bring these things yeah. together, not only in your experience, but in your understanding. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think the power of a yoga studies program that's hosted at a university, and particularly a university that's a pioneer of contemplative education, is that we can actually do a deep immersion in these things, and it's consistent. Do you get this training from Nataraja and company? You know, we have mm-hmm. other excellent yoga teachers here as well. Yeah. And that training is in the whole somatic depth of the tradition, as well as working with all of these elements, the body, the subtle body, mm. you know, the energy centers, thinking about it in light of Ayurveda and other healing yeah. traditions in India, working with the breath, you know. And then in addition to that, you have a space to really have a consistent immersion and a developing understanding of the history and philosophy mm. of yogic traditions. And this can unlock, I see it as a broader maturation of the yoga world itself, actually. Yeah. You know, and it's a, it's a space where that can start to happen. It's a really unique environment. And then in addition to that, the contemplative context allows for the meditative practice of yoga to really be done. It gives space for that to be explored and integrated in a much more powerful way. Yeah. And that's something that's really missing often from the yoga studios and yoga workshops. So all of these things, I think, really distinguish our program. Yeah. I'm hearing a holistic approach. There's, yes. It's not a, a fragmented approach where you're just getting the body, you're just getting the philosophy, the teachings, the theory, right. the learning how to pronounce the words mm-hmm. sort of vibe. But you're getting all of that. And it's not just like a teacher training course where it's over a month or two or three. It's mm-hmm. an actual school where you come for a couple semesters, you get a degree, and then you, you're learning all this stuff together with a cohort. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you just you're yeah. you're acquiring all the knowledge from different aspects of this this like really thick lineage. Yeah. This right. phenomenon as you like to say. Right. That has been around for a really long time. Yes. Yeah. Yes indeed. <laughs> and being situated in a university context as the only accredited undergraduate yoga studies program in the world gives us actually the time to even begin this ambitious endeavor to try and cover both the breadth and the depth academically and experientially with this tradition. A scholar described this tradition as the oldest, longest literate tradition on the planet. Wow. It's not the oldest necessarily. It's not the longest enduring. And of course, it's not the only literate, but it is the oldest, longest literate tradition on the planet. Hmm. So both in terms of a philosophical tradition, a practitioner tradition, and of course yoga as an experience is quite broad and yeah. takes time. Yeah. And so we just feel fortunate to be able to offer courses over two, three, or four years that really touch on the multitudinous dimensions of yoga. Yeah. So so you could almost say with, with the longevity of time we have amongst the semesters and the people that you're working with and having a relationship with the teachers and the faculty that you're able to capture the essence of it a bit more other than just kind of like going through a program? Yeah, I, I think part of it is you're able to integrate 
the broad range of knowledge that seems to be coming from disparate sources that otherwise is difficult to organize and integrate within yourself. Mm-hmm. But you're also starting to kind of open your eyelids to the diversity and plurality of yoga. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're receiving tools to connect that diversity and plurality of this August tradition into your own practice and also to navigate it. So often people are interested in, in a single essence of yoga. And once they get it, then they stop thinking. Mm. <laughs> we actually are we're at a university where we never want to stop that process. Mm. Totally. We want this to be a lifelong learning endeavor. Yeah. You don't do the two-week certificate program and you're done mm-hmm. and start teaching. That's the problem. Mm. We have people who are teaching. I tell my students, I'm learning every single time I reread the Yoga Sutras, I'm learning more. Yeah. I'll never feel I mastered that text. In India, you reread text your whole life. You don't read it once and think you understand it. Yeah. So what we want at a university to have our students grapple with mm-hmm. is the multiple essences and then maybe bring those together into this tincture. Yeah. That's a really nuanced and complex engagement with the history of yogic traditions, including the history of modern postural yoga, which happened in dialogue with all kinds of streams within colonial India, mm-hmm. including the history of global transmissions of these ideas. Right? How do these ideas transmit across cultures, across civilizational boundaries, and how are they adapted into new contexts? How do you go from Patanjali to doing yoga on horses, right? Hmm. There's a story to be told there. It's an interesting story, actually. Yeah. It's not just crass appropriation. It's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of the West's reception of the East as well. Yeah. And to recognize you're a part of that story is to also recognize a deeper part of your identity, mm-hmm. right? And so... This might be my approach, but it's, <laughs> it's not to simplify, it's to complexify. Yeah, yeah. And then hopefully give students the tools to move through that and become powerful, articulate agents within this broader yoga community. Yes. I think one of the first things that surfaces is the, the realization that this is not a monolithic tradition. Yeah. That it's as radically dynamic now as it has been for thousands of years. Mm. That there are many traditions within this umbrella of yoga. Some had a very transcendental arc, you know, where yoga, to put it kind of crudely, was an exit strategy. And from there emerged more integrative views of the path that saw it not as an escape model, but as an embodiment model. Mm. And didn't end with a particular teacher or book. That's why we see it shape-shifting as much now as it has for, for millennia. So we look at, okay, what are our assumptions about yoga now and its relationship to antiquity? Because I think there's a tendency to, to kind of mangle history a bit to try and make what is now the same as what was. Yeah. So simultaneously <laughs> being honest about some of the, the real chasms that exist between uh-huh. modern day yoga and its origins and roots. But then simultaneously also looking, what are the through lines that do connect both in aspiration and realization? You know, yeah. what Patanjali was experiencing too, 
what we're looking at now. Yeah, it's like yoga is the root to so many different things, whether mm. it's spiritual, whether mm-hmm. it's body practice, mm-hmm. whether it's just theorizing, historical. Mm-hmm. There's so many different things that can just come from this thing. And yeah. I feel like most people who aren't deeply in the idea of what yoga is, they just sort of see it as like a body practice, something to get fit, something to right. probably feel good. And what they don't realize is there's a really huge tradition and steeped in this thick history of theory and knowledge and philosophy and just body practice and Mm. whether you are trying to have an exit strategy or whether you are trying to be more grounded on the earth and connect with your community there's so many different directions you can go Mm. i mean i didn't know this till right now (laughs) you know so this this is the learning experience for me too you know i'm going to be taking your guys' classes this semester yeah you know we're waiting for you to sign up i know (laughs) here we go (laughs) So I got one more question for you. And when a student takes this program and they graduate, what do they get? What is it that they receive? What is it that they're able to do afterwards? You get more than a certificate or like a signed piece of paper or something. So like what is it that they receive and they can do? Well, I think as Nataraja mentioned earlier, we have a unique program because you can get a bachelor's degree in yoga studies. And there's no other university you know, accredited university worldwide, but just definitely in the United States. There's no other university where you can get a BA. I just got an email recently of a program trying to do yoga minor. There's a few universities that have a yoga teacher training as like a, a certificate program mm-hmm. through their physical education and gymnasiums, you know, kind of context at the university. Yeah. But what's interesting about getting a BA in yoga studies is we can say it, and we're the first to offer that mm-hmm. in the U.S. at least. And that means what you do with it's kind of new and open. I'm new to the program. Nataraja can speak more about our alumni and the kind of work they've been doing. But I think there's like a lot of really interesting inroads. Whether you make a career as a yoga teacher or you become a proprietor of yoga and you develop a yoga studio, whether you design retreats and workshops that are held in places like Costa Rica, yeah. <laughs> or Bali. Bali. <laughs> Never heard of that. Yeah, exactly. What's clear is that there's a market. There's no doubt that there's a market for working in this industry. Yeah. And what I think our our program will distinguish people within that world by giving them all these tools we've been talking about. And hopefully they'll be able to bring more depth and more knowledge and more learning and sensitivity mm-hmm. to those communities that they build and that they foster. So that's just a first pass, but Nataraja <laughs> maybe can give you some more data-driven. <laughs> yeah, spot on. You know, a lot of our alumni, they utilize their education in very different directions. A number have actually opened yoga studios from New York to Washington. Mm-hmm. Others make it their private practice, you know, teaching either privately or in various established studios. Some have taken it into health and healing work. So they're working in different health agencies and veteran centers and prisons. And I think this is really what has inspired the soon to be launch of our master's degree in yoga therapy Mm. is creating an advanced training in finding ways to utilize this extraordinary tradition and technology to really interface with aspects of the world, different demographics that don't always have access or awareness to these practices and traditions. So I think it's really wide open in 
the various ways you can utilize this education and this training. Yeah. Yeah, just the fact that you get a BA is just so much cooler than just a certificate or anything like that. And plus, you have the long journey Mm -hmm. of learning with a lot of people in a contemplative community in Boulder, Colorado, with with like amazing teachers, with people who have a steeped history of the practice. And it's so wonderful to like hear your passion and just like everything you're about and got to be signing up for that class next semester. Awesome. <laughs> but usually they're like packed and you can't get in, so yeah. it's hard. We'll sometimes. make room for you. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So thanks for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, new things in the future. Thank you, David. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. So that was Nataraja Kalio and Ben Williams on the podcast. They both teach in the Yoga Studies program, and I'd like to thank them again. Thanks. Thanks, David. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.